I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To help us get to the truth of the matter about China's relationship with Russia vis-a-vis Russia's war in Ukraine, we have with us Dr. Bonnie Lind, who's director of our China Power Project and senior fellow in the Asia Security Program. Bonnie, so great to have you with us. Andrew, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really great to be with you here. Thanks, Bonnie. So let's just set the background of this. China and Russia have a long relationship. It stems from both being communist countries with authoritarian leaders. What is the background behind China's situation here as they find themselves dealing with, like the rest of the world, Russia's invasion of Ukraine? That's a really good question. And as you noted, the two countries are neighbors and they have a very long history. But I think most when they look at the current Russian invasion of Ukraine, they go at least as far back, if not much further back than the February 4th statement, joint statement between President Xi and President Putin, where the two sides laid out a very large shared vision of what they view as both countries being under threat, under challenge from the West. They shared a definition of what they view as democracy. They shared what they viewed as an appropriate international order. And they also outlined how both countries were facing what they saw as encroachments on their territory from the West's continuous military expansion near them. So it's in this context, only a couple weeks after that joint statement that Russia invaded Ukraine, and Xi Jinping is finding himself in a pretty difficult spot because he had just upgraded his relationship with Russia to one of no limits, right? And now his close friend for some time, but even strengthened closer friend, has now invaded Ukraine. So what does China do? So right now, what we're seeing China do is trying to carve out, to the extent possible, what it believes to be a more neutral role, trying to distance itself a little bit more from the Russian military operation, which they at first only called Russia's invasion a special military operation, and only now are using some terms which suggest that they recognize it's much more than just a military operation. But to date, China has not been willing to call Russia's invasion an invasion. China has not been willing to condemn Russian aggression. And even as we look at All the uh, atrocities that Russia is committing, China is still pushing the West to not inflict what they view to be unilateral and unproductive sanctions that harm not only Russia, but what they see as harming China and the international community at large. How does China view the United States' position on Russia's invasion of Ukraine? I mean, they're now putting out documentary-length propaganda in China, and they're doing quite a lot you know, in China, while they're publicly and and globally calling for peace. But in China, they seem to be putting this on the United States. Oh, yes, of course. From the Chinese perspective, because in many ways, their position is still very much pro-Russia, they buy into all the Russian talking points that Ukraine was caused by U.S. and NATO expansion to the West and in some ways also partially by Ukraine. So there's very little, if any, fault on Russia's part. And Russia was just responding to what it viewed as a legitimate security interest with the West encroaching more and more on its territory. If you look at some how some Chinese authors write about this, 
several of them have also talked about how Russia in the past even wanted to join NATO and repeatedly tried to work with the West, but was repeatedly rejected. And as a result, what we're seeing now is Russia finding no other options but to use force. And we're seeing this narrative, as you mentioned, in documentaries, in domestic press in China. And part of it is because there is a sense that the decision to side with Russia was made at the very top between Xi Jinping and, and his counterpart Putin. And any criticism of that decision is in some ways a criticism of Xi himself. So, Bonnie, this is interesting. We're talking about a documentary, and the documentary that's been circulating in China is called Historical Nihilism and the Soviet Collapse. And it's been the centerpiece of a months-long campaign aimed at party officials within China, and it's continued since Russia began its full assault on Ukraine on February 24th. So what does this collapse of the Soviet Union in Chinese terms have to do with any of this? So I think exactly like you mentioned, this documentary was created and started circulating before the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and in many ways reflects a long-held narrative and belief in China that part of what Russia is trying to do is defend what was previously Russian territory and in some ways try to regain back what it previously was part of Russia. So it's a very defensive view of what Russia is doing. And for Chinese analysts, as they look at this, it in many ways mirrors how they think of their situation as they look at their periphery, right? A China under assault, a China that is acting very defensively. So essentially, the Chinese party, Chinese Communist Party, the PLA, is putting this the collapse of the Soviet Union is is the fault of the United States and the West, and it's color war against communism in their terms. And this is just more of the same. This is the Chinese saying that the United States is and its allies in the West are waging a color war against Russia as Russia just tries to reassemble what was lost. That's what they're essentially saying. Yes, and that actually reflects some of what China views as U.S. and Western efforts against China, right? So a major fear that China has is that the West is trying to, in many ways, undermine not only the CCP, the Chinese government, but also China's economic development. And the West is doing this in a variety of ways, right? Whether that's through Hong Kong, pressure on Hong Kong, whether that's to try to keep Taiwan separate from China, or whether that's through Xinjiang and human rights. So this, this narrative of color revolutions is not just unique to Russia, but it's a long-held suspicion that China has of Western intentions and efforts in general. So, Bonnie, what kind of support other than emotional support and <laughs> and propaganda support has China offered to Russia, if any? So we've seen support in a variety of ways. Yes, we have seen Chinese companies largely abide by Western sanctions on Russia. But at the same time, China has actively pushed back against the sanctions diplomatically and made quite a concerted effort to do so not only by themselves, but with key Russia partners. So so you've seen Wang Yi travel to Pakistan, travel to India. You've seen uh, Chinese diplomats engage with key countries in Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia. And where possible, China has made the case that these sanctions on Russia are unilateral. Sanctions aren't helping to stop the conflict. And it will create, in some ways, more harm to these countries, 
to your countries that are being normally neglected by the West anyways. We've seen several cases of China's side either providing some tacit support to Russia through various UN or international organizations to shield Russia for some of, from some of the criticism. And there are also, I would characterize them as concerns right now, that the level of support that China is currently providing to Russia could change depending on how the conflict evolves. So there is concern that if Russia continues to perform poorly, if we're really seeing that the conflict could potentially undermine Putin as well as stability at home within Moscow, we could see potentially China offering more aid to Russia. For example, we did not see in China's meeting with the EU that China was willing to offer any guarantees that it would not provide military assistance to Russia, and it would not intervene in the conflict. Rather, most of the Chinese statements have been, to date, we have not provided this, and we're not going to provide it. But no one is very confident that that will be the case if things really go south for Russia. Do you expect that China is going to stick its neck out even further for Russia if this really gets tough? I mean, for instance, China, you just mentioned how China is talking to countries in Africa. Well, those countries in Africa, a lot of them are suffering because of the lack of food supply as a result of this war. That's just one example. How far is China and President Xi willing to stick its neck out on behalf of Vladimir Putin? Uh, That's a really great question. I think my personal assessment is relatively far. So what we've seen is despite all these Russian atrocities and Russian aggression in Ukraine, China has affirmed again and again at, at multiple top leadership meetings with the Russians that its relationship with Russia remains rock solid. And that term is very interesting because that's the term that we use to characterize our relationship with Taiwan. Uh, And uh, the Chinese have now used it to characterize their relationship with Russia. There has been no change in the overall direction that China needs to strengthen its relationship with Russia. So a couple of reasons why China might be relatively willing to stick its neck out. One is, as we mentioned briefly earlier, It's the fact that China and Russia share a very long border, very long history. And from China's perspective, Russia could be its most problematic neighbor if it does not have good relations with it. Because compared to all of its other neighbors, Russia is the most powerful neighbor militarily, also is a neighbor that China shares the most border with. And it's also the neighbor that China has historically had significant tensions with. So if if China believes it already has a significant problem with a unstable or problematic North Korea, imagine what that would be like if its relationship with Russia turned into that with North Korea. It would just be an absolute nightmare for the CCP leadership. Do you think that President Xi views what he's doing in a similar way to Vladimir Putin in that they're both empire building. Do you do you see that? I mean, that's been said. I, I'm wondering what your take is on that. So I think that's a interesting question. I wouldn't necessarily call what China is doing empire building. So what we do see China is doing is trying to claim back what it views as its territory, primarily Taiwan, but also some of the disputed territories in the East China Sea, South China Sea, and on the China-India border. But it, aside from Taiwan, none of these other places are really that populated, nor do they have a significant Chinese-speaking population aside from Taiwan. In contrast, we see significant ethnic Chinese populations in Southeast Asia, and we don't see any Chinese intent on reuniting with the larger Chinese ethnic populations in Southeast Asia broadly. Let's talk about Taiwan for a second, because that's what has the Taiwan Taiwanese scared. It has what, you know, Americans are on edge about it. 
can we really assess the risk of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, given how opaque China's government is? I think it is becoming increasingly more difficult, and I doubt any any agency or any government organization can have a complete and full, accurate assessment. However, there are several things that are, I guess, I'm not sure if they're somewhat reassuring, but several aspects of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan that does make it easier to track and in some ways identify indicators and warnings. The first is a Chinese large-scale amphibious invasion of Taiwan is likely to have a significant domestic within China political and economic implications. So we would expect China to take, be taking action to prepare for to sustain these political and economic costs. So we might see, for example, China thinking about, well, how does it deal with these sanctions? Could it deal with potential Western sanctions the same way that Russia is, or would the sanctions be even similar? China might need to mobilize its domestic population to be able to withstand these costs. So China does not, for example, witness some of the public protests that we've seen in Russia. Also similar to what we saw in the Ukraine situation is that an invasion of Taiwan will require significant military forces, and you can't just build them up overnight with no detection, right? And and I would add to that, an amphibious invasion, which requires crossing the Taiwan Straits, will probably be much more of a difficult force structure than, say, just rolling over the land border in Ukraine. And unlike Ukraine, we've been pretty specific with China in our relationship with Taiwan. I think the Chinese probably assess that the likelihood of a U.S. intervention in the event that it invades Taiwan is relatively high. I don't think that was the Russian assessment on Ukraine. In fact, my understanding was it was relatively clear late last year to both U.S. allies and partners and potentially to Russia that the United States would not put boots on the ground in Ukraine. You think it's much more likely that the West would respond at a more substantial level if there was a Chinese invasion of, I know this is a terrible hypothetical, but a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Yes, for sure. I think the current expectation on the Chinese side, and in some ways it's really their expectation that matters more than how other countries think about it. The current Chinese expectation is that the United States will intervene. And that is the assumption that the Chinese People's Liberation Army has been planning for for decades, that the United States will intervene. It's a matter of how fast the United States will intervene with what level of force and what other U.S. allies and partners may also be there to assist the United States in the defense of Taiwan. It's not a question of whether the United States will do so. It's a matter of when and with what types of force. Yeah, how? So like what are... U.S. options for action against China if they were to invade Taiwan? So I think there are a number of options, and it depends on sort of how China decides to move forward, right? If China decides to move forward with significant, for example, kinetic attacks, including launches of missiles striking Taiwan's military facilities, but also key critical infrastructure targets, I think perhaps in the initial stages, it might be a little bit more difficult because we still need to flow our forces there. Right. If if China, for example, just starts with an, a blockade, what we could see the United States trying to do is running that blockade or breaking that blockade. In general, I think the U.S. response would be dependent on what type of initial action that China does. But we have uh, on the DOD side planned a for a range of potential options, <laughs> depending on the type of chi initial Chinese military response. Do you think the Taiwans have enough capability to hold China back on their own? 
That's a very interesting and difficult question. I think what we saw with the Russian invasion of Ukraine was the expectation going in that Ukraine would fall relatively quickly. And we were surprised as well as heartened by how well the Ukrainians have been able to resist Russia. Part of it was they're spared their morale and their willingness. Part of it also was how poorly the Russians performed. So we know that the PLA has not engaged in a significant military conflict in decades. So we don't actually really know how well they will perform. And Taiwan is taking lessons learned from Ukraine. So as we move forward and Taiwan further learns from the successes of Ukraine and hardens their defense, I don't think it's clear that China would necessarily be able to break Taiwan's defenses. Do you think that Xi and the leadership in China are viewing what's happening to Putin in Ukraine as, as somewhat of a cautionary tale, given that the Russian forces haven't performed well? I really hope so, but yeah. I'm not completely sure. So I think it is a cautionary tale, as in China needs to be more prepared. The PLA needs to be more careful and really make sure that what they train, they can actually put into practice, right? But I'm not sure, for example, if from China's perspective, Taiwan crosses its red lines, it would, she would think, well, because the, I'm not 100% sure the PLA can perform, I'm not going to use military force. So I don't think, for example, Ukraine has changed China's will to use force against Taiwan and may have led to some Chinese assessment on whether it has the appropriate capabilities and whether China wants to further reassess and make double sure the PLA has the capabilities to engage in whatever military operations Beijing wants. Now, China has deep economic ties with Ukraine. This isn't widely known, but they've become Ukraine's largest trading partner in recent years, even ahead of Russia. And China has to be looking at the sanctions that we've put on, we and others in the West, our allies have put on to Russia. What do you think China sees in these sanctions? What are they learning from it? What is their takeaway? Yeah, the Chinese trade with Russia far outweighs the, its trade with Ukraine. But Chinese trade with Europe, European Union, as well as the United States, also far outweighs its trade with Russia. So in terms of how China is viewing the sanctions, there's a lot of discussion right now about the extent to which the Western sanctions on Russia could be applied again against China. And a number of Chinese scholars are not that confident because Europe, United States, and other countries who might sign on to these sanctions are much more dependent on China. Another factor that I do see occasionally raised also is a matter of sequencing, right? So say, and I'm, I'm not saying China's going to do this at all, but say China invades Taiwan next year, right? That invasion would happen after the Russian invasion, right? Where the West has already imposed all these sanctions on Russia and the West has already taken all these economic costs. Would the United States, the West, the G7 be as willing to oppose sanctions on China, given that it is already suffering the domestic and political cost from sanctions on Russia? So, so there's a sequencing question. We can't think of them in just complete absolute vacuum. So, Bonnie, how does this invasion really impact China's Belt and Road Initiative, for instance? Because if, if nothing else, China is trying to continue to compete globally. It's trying to continue to move forward with its plans. 
Does this throw a wrench in those plans at some level? Yes and no. So yes, in the sense that Ukraine was relatively important for China's Belt and Road as a key node in Belt and Road as it as China connects to Europe. But a good portion of that connection would have required either going to Russia on land, then to Ukraine, which would have gone through Russia anyways, or a maritime component. But what I am following now is, as China seeks to decrease the risk it faces in the future. So even though a number of Chinese analysts are skeptical that the West could impose similar sanctions on China, I don't think that would necessarily. Decrease China from investing in more measures to make itself less vulnerable to these types of potential Western sanctions. So one way to do so is to increase China's influence, its trade, its connectivity with other countries, and the Belt and Road is a key way to do that. So I'm closely watching to see if after, and we've only seen like a month or so since the Ukraine invasion, if we're going to see renewed. Importance of the Belt and Road after Ukraine, as China tries to make sure that it's less dependent on the West for trade, supplies, and whatnot. Do you think Xi Jinping will continue to, you know, peddle the dark narrative that he has basically since he took power? That you know, this is just an a, again part of a U.S.-led color revolution to overthrow Putin, and you know, we the PLA could be next. That is narrative coming out of China right now. So,、um, what we heard China's vice foreign minister Luo Yicheng mention recently was a the narrative that Russia is the United States' target now, but China might be next. And the narrative is that all the factors that led to the Ukrainian conflict, which is the NATO Western expansion up to the borders of Russia, China is seeing that already right now in the Indo Pacific. With the U.S. Indo-Pacific strategy, with the Quad, with the with AUKUS, those are all military, from China's perspective, military organization, more military arrangements, key to expanding Western activity, U.S. particular U.S. activities in the Indo-Pacific, and key to countering China. And they think containing China. Yes, Bonnie, what's your greatest fear in this whole equation? You know, that's a really good question. My greatest fear, Andrew, is that. The U.S. and Chinese side may no longer really be understanding each other because, for example, as I just laid out the Chinese perspective, the fact that China is afraid that we're、uh, containing it or where we might be engaged in color revolutions, all of that sounds very foreign <laughs> to those in the United States who aren't China experts, right? It sounds so ridiculous these Chinese perceptions, but yet those are many of the real legitimate. From the Chinese perspective, threats that they're afraid of, and vice versa. When U.S. interlocutors hear these perspectives, many of us are like, "Well, is this really how China feels, or is this Chinese propaganda?" So my real fear is, as we move forward, and particularly what we've seen with COVID, that we're seeing less travel between the two sides, seeing less in-person dialogue, and much of the discussions that Chinese experts are participating with, with the U.S. side, are being monitored, and they're not speaking as freely. I worry that we're not having a real deep understanding of each other, and we're each going to have our own different perceptions of one another, and those perceptions may be more and more dangerous. And I'm worried that this could lead to more miscalculation between the two sides. Bonnie Lin, this is fascinating stuff. Can't wait to have you back on to talk about this more. Really appreciate your insights today. Have learned a lot. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 